It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here they come on third and five. Wilson, boy, somehow escapes. He's going to run for it. Plenty of green grass. Wilson stays in bounds. He's still going. And he's in. Touchdown. Zach Wilson pulling a magic trick. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore. The 20. The 10. The 5. Touchdown. Two is buried. Oh, Sauce Gardner. Here he goes! Goodbye and hello Enzo! And Dyke swarmed, swallowed, and sacked. Guess who? You only got one guess. Jermaine Johnson. Here's Brees Hall looking for history. Hall with his 24th straight game with a rushing touchdown into the NCAA record books. Listen. Thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is time to get to know your foe. Week one edition, I can't believe it. Week one of the regular season right around the corner. Jets taking on the Baltimore Ravens at 1 o'clock on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. And so to break down the Ravens from the Ravens side of things, we bring in Kevin Ostriker. And as I was telling Kevin before we started recording, the reason that I can pronounce that properly without even having to ask is because of American Pie. Chris Ostriker was one of the characters in that movie. So if you haven't seen it, then you should see it because it's hilarious. If you have, then you know what I'm talking about. Kevin is the host of Locked on Ravens and the managing editor of Ravens Wire. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, th- thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited that football is back here and we <laughs> finally have some regular season stuff to talk about. For sure. And the regular season begins for both the Jets and the Ravens, as I said, Sunday, 1 o'clock, MetLife Stadium. And I want to get into who the Ravens added and got rid of, the key adds and subtracts from the offseason before we get into anything else involving this matchup. So we know that they had a draft that was praised very highly. A lot of people thought that the Jets were going to zero in on Kyle Hamilton at a certain point. There was a lot of buzz on that early on. Ravens ended up getting him later than a lot of people anticipated. Some people thought Kyle Hamilton was going to be a top five pick at one point. They ended up getting another player that a lot of Jets fans were talking about in Tyler Linderbaum, the center, who should be a day one starter. So we know that they added key pieces there in the draft. Marcus Williams, the big offseason ticket and free agency, another player that Jets fans were hoping that the team would add, but he ends up going to Baltimore. So Kevin, take me through some of this. Talk about the guys that they brought in, the key contributors from the draft and also free agency, and then some of the key losses that they suffered in the offseason. Yeah, well, I think Baltimore's offseason was really predicated around getting depth and getting good players, and I think they did both. Obviously, 2021 was a super hard year for them in terms of just the pure sheer amount of injuries they went through losing J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters before the year even started 10 days before the year even started. Then you have Ronnie Stanley only play one game. Obviously Marlon Humphrey go down the more Jackson go down. They, they were hurting in a big way last year. And I think part of that was because they weren't as prepared to, I think, sustain some of those losses, especially on the offensive line with the offensive tackle position. They go out there and sign Morgan Moses. Mm-hmm. They brought in Jawan James last offseason when he tore his Achilles. Now he is fully healed up. Drafting Daniel Falele there, too, in the fourth round. And in the safety position, too, they lost to Sean Elliott, their starting safety, right around week nine in that area. So 
they go out and they sign Marcus Williams and they draft Kyle Hamilton at 14 alongside Chuck Clark. So they have one of the deepest safety rooms, just pure star power in this league at that position. You also look at the cornerback position. They lost a couple guys there. Anthony Averett, Tavon Young, just to name a couple of those. They do bring in Kyle Fuller, who is a veteran at this stage of his career. And we'll just hope to maybe play that third cornerback role for them. They draft Jalen Armour Davis, Pepe Williams there as well. And then, yeah, center. I, I mean, the center position was one that was, a pretty big talking point throughout the offseason about just whether Bradley Bozeman would stay or not. He ends up going to Carolina on what I think was a very good deal for Carolina. I think Bozeman's a much better player than that deal, but I think he'll outperform that in Carolina and, and be able to cash in next offseason. But Baltimore then brings in Tyler Linderbaum, the center who, you know, one of the best center prospects to come out in years. His size was a concern for some people, but I think Baltimore values his athleticism, his ability to work in space really, really well. And I think overall the, the one area where people were looking at for ball and really have been looking at for Baltimore is wide receiver and just what they would do there. They trade Marquise Brown to the Arizona Cardinals on, on a pretty shocking draft night move. I don't think anybody saw it coming. The team's keeping it pretty under wraps and people thought, well, oh, Hey, Baltimore's going to go draft a, a replacement for Marquise Brown. They in fact do not do that. They, they don't draft a receiver with any of their 11 picks, 11 picks in that draft. They signed to Marcus Robinson a couple weeks ago, formerly at Kansas City, but they're going to be relying on guys like Devin Duvernay, James Perchet, Tyler Wallace. They're running back. They brought in Mike Davis. They signed Kenyon Drake recently. And then tight end-wise, they draft two of them. Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina and Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. So the, the Ravens overall – not a big loss here. I think they did lose some key players. I mean, obviously Bradley Bozeman, Tavon Young, when he's healthy is, is great, but he was put on IR by Chicago. But I think they were able to add a ton of talent. Deshaun Elliott also departing for Detroit. But the talent that they added, I think, outweighs the guy that the guys that they lost, plus the guys they're getting back almost like as cheesy as it sounds, count as additions, like for Asian additions in their own way. Getting back what hopefully will be a fully JK healthy JK Dobbins, a fully healthy Marcus Peters, Ronnie Stanley. At some point, we're hoping Tyus Bowser and Gus Edwards can come off that BUP list too and be able to perform. So they have a lot of depth this year. They have built their roster, I think, for the long haul. Injuries happen. They happen to every team. So Baltimore's going to go through at least some again this year, but I think they're more more prepared now to deal with them. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What the lack of major moves at wide receiver tells me, and I'm curious if you think the same way here, Kevin, is that they have a lot of confidence in Rashad Bateman to step up and be that number one wide receiver. And then they like some of these younger guys and think the chips will fall where they may when it comes to them in terms of who's number two, number three, number four. But also, I think they believe that the tight end position is going to be their meal ticket here. That's why they drafted two of them. As you said, Charlie Kolar is out, but Isaiah Likely is there. They've obviously got Mark Andrews, who's one of the best tight ends in the league. So they're going to build their passing game around the running backs, around the wide receivers with Rashad Bateman, but really more than anything else, I think the tight ends, right? It, it definitely feels like the way the Ravens' offense is going it is that tight end centric offense, the bully ball that we've seen from them. I mean, Baltimore in 2019 and 2020 were least the, the least team in pass attempts. They had the least amount of pass attempts both those years. Now in 2021, obviously personnel changed and it became, they were the ninth most passing attempts team. So they had the ninth most pass attempts. So I think this year we're going to see not quite the 2019 team where I think the, the majority of those plays, they ran the ball and look had historic success doing it. But Lamar Jackson as a quarterback is such a dynamic threat, both with his arm and with his legs. I, I think you have to look at that and say, you know, 
any team can't run the ball 100% of the snaps and, and win football games. You have to be able to have a passing element to that. I think the tight end offense, will be, you'll be able to work play action off of that, especially if you can have success running on the early downs. If you get into a second and short situation, you can punish defenses to begin to stack the box. And that's where Baltimore had a ton of success last year. They used a ton of motion. They like motioning Patrick Ricard, who's their fullback. He can play as a tight end as well, very versatile. But I agree. I think the, the lack of receiver moves, and honestly, the trade of Marquise Brown, it comes down to what positions do the Ravens value? What positions do the Ravens need to value in the schemes that they run on offense? Would the Ravens have paid Marquise Brown 20, 25, $30 million per season with just how much the wide receiver market has boomed over the course of this off season. The Ravens don't throw the ball as much as a, a Kansas city or a Cincinnati, or even an Arizona where he went. I think Marquise Brown is one of the best, if not the best wide receiver twos in this league at this point, you know, he obviously has potential to grow even more, but I know that the Marquise Brown trade came about because he wanted out of Baltimore, but I think the question, and I mean, we'll never know because he's not on the team anymore, but would the Ravens have paid for an investment like that? I think Lamar Jackson does deserve a star receiver. You know, I know DK Metcalf's name was, was brought up Debo Samuel as well, but the way the offense is and with the, the Lamar Jackson extension looming, could they have afforded to pay a Marquise Brown all, all that money? I don't know, but I think, yeah, the offense is definitely moving towards the bully ball way, but I don't think it's going to be purely bully ball. I think we're going to see a lot of good passing, passing things from Lamar Jackson in this offense this year. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Fill me in on what you're expecting to see from Lamar Jackson, a quarterback on Sunday. He's a player that is looking for a big bounce back year compared to the second half of the year. I mean, his first half was great. He was in the MVP conversation, had that MVP game against the Kansas or against the Indianapolis Colts, excuse me. And it was that game where you're thinking, all right, wow, he really could put his name back in this conversation. Now, I mentioned Kansas City. Week two, that was a game where Lamar Jackson had never beaten Kansas City. They come out with a huge one-point victory there against the, the Chiefs at M&T Bank Stadium. But then you look to what happened in the second half of the year. He struggled starting with the Miami game where the Dolphins just cover zero blitz the whole game and the Ravens could do nothing about it. He missed a Chicago game with an illness. He then got injured against the Browns running out of the pocket and trying to escape pressure and looking to throw the ball away and then gets his ankle rolled up on, and, and that's that. I think what you're looking at, though, for Lamar Jackson this year, he has undergone a body transformation, added on a lot of muscle. Now, some of that will come off, I mean, as, as a lot of players have that happen, you know, just the nature of running around, playing, some of that weight comes off. But I think he is motivated this year, and I think for him, I mean, I know that the talk of town has been the contract situation, He's a guy that if he performs well, it's a what have you done for me now lately league. His value right now might not be as high as it would be if he has a great year in 2022, makes the playoffs, goes to the AFC championship, you know, even, even wins the Super Bowl. You have a lot of options there for him in terms of just being able to continue to stack money. And, and look, he's going to deserve every penny, whatever contract he gets. But on the field, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in this league. As far as the running game, Kevin, where do we sit with J.K. Dobbins right now and his injury? Is he going to play Sunday as of this moment? And if he doesn't, what are the Ravens planning to do in the running game beyond Lamar Jackson? With Dobbins in particular, tore the ACL in the final preseason game last year against the Commanders and well, formerly the Washington football team. And the Ravens, it's a little up in the air right now if he's going to be able to, to play in this game. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if he did. I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't. The Ravens have been taking the cautious approach with all their injured guys, whether that is Dobbins or Marcus Peters or Ronnie Stanley or whatnot. But for Dobbins in particular, the Ravens, I, I kind of talked about a little bit, have the depth now to not rush him into action. They don't need him if he's at 80%, 85%. 
I think for a player like Dobbins, you really want to make sure that he's good to go 100%, not rushing him out there in any any way, shape, or form. So if Dobbins is not able to go or is playing very, very limited stats, are going to be relying on guys like Mike Davis and Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake. And then obviously Lamar Jackson, too. He's a big part of that run game and what they're able to do with the RPOs and the play action and just, and just everything that he does. He's a threat in every way, and defenses have to account for him in so many different ways on every single play, and that opens up the run game. And I think with an offensive line that has improved and is currently pretty healthy heading into the year, I think the run game will be able to flourish, especially with the way that the Ravens, again, I think they're going to move back to a little bit more of a run-centric offense. Kevin, you mentioned the improved offensive line, and we did talk about Tyler Linderbaum and our old friend Morgan Moses coming in to help the Ravens, but Expand a little bit more on that for me, if you could, about why this Ravens offensive line needed an upgrade from last year and how you expect it to look when they take the field for week one on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line is, I think, is the most important part for any offense. I mean, you can have a great quarterback, great running backs, great wideouts, tight ends. If you can't block for them, there's nothing you can do. And for the Ravens offensive line, you have a bunch of options. I mentioned the tackle depth that they have. So if Ronnie Stanley is unable to play in this game again, pretty, pretty up in the air at the time of this recording. You have a guy like Jawan James, who is learning the left side has primarily played right tackle throughout his career, but he has been learning the left side throughout training camp. You could maybe put Morgan Moses there if you want to, but I think he's pretty entrenched there at right tackle. I think Patrick McCary is another option. He's a very versatile player listed as a center, but can play all over the line, can play all five positions, was a tackle in college and can definitely slot out there. Played right tackle for Baltimore last year based off all the injuries they went through and actually did pretty well before his body started to break down at the end of the season. Left guard-wise was really the only big competition. It was between Ben Powers, Ben Cleveland, and Tyree Phillips. The Ravens end up cutting Phillips, but I think the job right now is is Ben Powers. He's going to be the guy to slot in there week one, a a fourth-year player out of Oklahoma, someone who's a nasty blocker, someone who really just gets down, does the dirty work, has been pretty up and down, I think, throughout the course of his career so far, so we'll see how that ends up working out. Center, we talked about Linderbaum and and how that's going to work out. Right guard, Kevin Zeitler should have been a pro bowler last year. He was as steady as it got, especially with, with the way the offensive line went in terms of injuries. He was in there. He was playing at a high level. I expect another great year from him. And yeah, Morgan Moses, just a a veteran right tackle option, durable. That's something the Ravens prioritize is durability for these free agent signings. Morgan Moses certainly has that aspect to him. So I I am confident. And if Ronnie Stanley can get back to what he was before the injury, and it was admittedly a very gruesome, very brutal ankle injury. So we're going to see how the mobility works for him and just how he is on it. But if Ronnie Stanley can get back to full strength, Ronnie Stanley, at least by the end of the year, I think we'll see an offensive line that is leaps and bounds better than what we saw here in Baltimore in 2021. Kevin on defense, the Ravens are going to have to get pressure on Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson, whichever one it is. And they don't have anybody that's a home run pass rusher. Olway, of course, has a potential. A lot of people think he's going to break out this year. And he did play pretty well as a rookie. 15 quarterback hits. And you have two old reliables in Calais Campbell who re-signed at Justin Houston. But the question is, who is going to be used to get pressure? How are they going to get creative? Wink Martindale leaves. You've got a new defensive coordinator here. How is this going to look on the field in terms of trying to disguise things, confuse Flacco or Wilson? Obviously, it would be easier to confuse Wilson than the veteran Flacco and get heat on them to throw them off their rhythm. And of course, obviously, get some sacks and try and back the Jets up time and time again. Right. No, I think you have a really good point. And I think the the switch, the transition over 
from Don Martindale to Mike McDonald will be one to watch. I think a lot of people are excited to see just what the, what the defense looks like from Mike McDonald. In the preseason, these teams aren't necessarily throwing their whole playbook out there. They're doing very basic stuff, so you're not going to see everything you want to see. I think in week one, we're going to see some of the same stuff that Don Martindale brought to the table, but this is a new coordinator. You know, he was a guy that was in Baltimore for many seasons, ended up going to Michigan for the year last year and, and became his own play caller, you know, took the stuff he learned and really translated over to the college level. Now, obviously college is a little different than the NFL in terms of, of difficulty, but for the Ravens, it was a lot of simulated pressures, you know, putting everybody up the line in dr- either sending everyone or dropping all but three into coverage. But I think when you're looking at how the Ravens can confuse, and I agree, I think it will be easier to confuse Zach Wilson at this point than a Joe Flacco. But I think we're going to see a lot more creativity from Mike McDonald, especially with the outside linebacker position. Because right now, the Ravens at the time of this recording have just two healthy outside linebackers on their roster. They have a couple of veterans on their practice squad. And I would anticipate at least one of those guys getting called up for game day. But they might have to play maybe Clayus Campbell as a big edge or Malik Harrison, an inside linebacker at the Sam position where they're missing Tyus Bowser's skill set right now. And another issue for them over the course of the past, ever since Don Martindale took over, was the fact that they had pretty big trouble generating pressure without blitzing. So rushing four, rushing three, they were not able to generate a ton of pressure that way. You know, we didn't really see a lot of that. Now the Ravens did bring in some, some players that I think can help in that area. But a guy like Travis Jones, who at this point of status is very up in the air at the time of this recording, I wouldn't expect him to play in the game against the Jets. They're going to have to get creative. And I think we're going to see, again, the Ravens creeping guys up towards the line, playing in 6DB packages, sending guys off the edge. I mean, we saw a ton of corner safety blitzes over the course of Don Martindale's tenure. But the thing with Martindale was it was more of a live by the blitz, die by the blitz mentality, where if it was working, he'd continue doing it. If it was not working, he'd continue doing it. I think Mike McDonald... We'll stray away from that a little bit. Again, remains to be seen, but but I'm excited for what he can bring to the table that way. As far as trying to stop the run, the Jets have a rejuvenated running game now. They drafted Brees Hall in the second round of Iowa State. Michael Carter comes in after an impressive rookie campaign, and now he's going towards his second season with Brees Hall as his running mate. So the Jets are going to run the ball, and that's going to be one of the basis of this offense is running the ball, taking the pressure off the quarterback, controlling the clock. How do you expect the Ravens to go about stopping the run on Sunday? Yeah, they're, they're going to have to, I think, utilize a lot of different ways to do it. I think it's going to be big, you know, for these second level players, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, Josh Bynes, the inside linebacker group to be able to just shut down anything that gets past the first level. Baltimore over the past couple of seasons has had a very, very stout run defense. And that is credit to Clays Campbell, who's still at his age is one of the best run defenders in this league. They brought in Michael Pierce to replace Brandon Williams, who's a big run stuffer in there. Just amount of BK, Brodzik Washington. Their defensive line is one of my favorite positions on this roster, honestly. It is so fun to watch. But I think it goes beyond that because you're going to have to have guys setting the edge. You know, can Adafi always do that consistently? Can Justin Houston do that consistently? If Malik Harrison plays some Sam, does he have the size to do that? So I think for Baltimore, it's credit to them because they have been very good at stopping the run, which in turn kind of like phases that out of the offensive game plan eventually, especially if the Ravens get up big. And 2021 was such a lost year for them in some circumstances. But what they like to do is once that happens, once they make the offense one-dimensional in terms of just the run game isn't working, they're up big, they have to pass the the opposing offense has to pass the football, Baltimore then on their offense holds the ball. 
They hold the ball for nine minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes. And then once teams begin to realize, oh, we do not have enough time to come back down three scores if we run the ball, that gets phased out completely. So I think early game for the Ravens is going to be big to be able to just kind of phase that out and make the Jets throw the ball. Not saying that, you know, Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson can't do that. But I think if you're able to eliminate a phase of the offense, it always helps you out. Kevin, we talked about getting heat on Flacco or Wilson on Sunday, but there's also the matter of the secondary, which, as we talked about before, has been upgraded immensely in the offseason. You have Kyle Hamilton coming in here, which is huge. You have Marcus Williams coming in here, which is huge. So two starting safeties that are at a really high level. They made some changes at cornerback as well, and also obviously Marlon Humphrey going to play on Sunday back from that injury from last year. Talk a little bit about that revamped secondary and what you expect them to do to try and shut down Flacco or Wilson on Sunday. Oh, yeah. The secondary was a huge struggle point for them last year, bottom five in a lot of different categories. But they they were able to revamp it in a big way. I mean, you look at obviously the return of Marcus Peters, which is huge for them whenever he's able to get back on the field a little bit up in the air if he's going to come back in week one. But Marlon Humphrey back at full strength. The cornerback room is an injury or two away from, I think, being a little bit of a concern. But you have Kyle Fuller, as I talked about, Jalen Amber Davis, Pepe Williams, Brandon Stevens, who I think is a very versatile player. He's had a very interesting couple of years. He started off as a, a running back at UCLA, transferred to SMU, became a corner there, went to Baltimore, played more of a safety role for them last year, and now is moving back over to corner. So we'll get, we're going to see him all over the place in 2022. But the safety position, I think, is the deepest on the roster. I mean, the big three there in Chuck Clark, Marcus Williams, and Kyle Hamilton. You have Geno Stone there as well. You can do so many different things with these guys, putting them up in the box. Marcus Williams gives you that single high safety that can play, you know, in the in the deep end of the field and make sure, you know, kind of like that Earl Thomas on the field presence. Obviously, you want to compare maybe to the, the Ed Reed play style as well. Big shoes to fill for, for Marcus Williams in, in Baltimore. They haven't really had that player since Earl Thomas was able to have a really good 2019 for them on the field. Now, off the field was a different story, but that's, that's again, a different story. I think overall, though, Baltimore has enough in the secondary now. Depth-wise also, the depth was a huge issue for them, and a couple injuries really derailed their season. So I think at the end of the day, they have improved there, and they've invested heavily for multiple years in that secondary, and that, and that hasn't changed. Kevin, let's talk coaching now. How do you expect John Harbaugh and his staff to approach this game strategy-wise? And knowing what you know about the Baltimore Ravens, if you were Robert Sala and his staff, and I'm not trying to make you an unpaid consultant here, how would you attack the Baltimore Ravens from the Jets' side of things? Yeah, I think there are there are a couple ways you can do it. I think, again, one, you have to tire those pass rushers down on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, if you're able to stop their run game a little bit, I think it takes away some of the play action that they have to do. You know, if, if the run game isn't working for them, I think they might move away from that a little bit more. I think the play action is so important for them. I also think for the Jets, if they can limit Baltimore on first downs. So to make it, second and long situations instead of potentially a second and four, second and three, second and two, it, it limits an offense. If you're not able to get into those situations, because Baltimore's run game, I think will be dominant to the point where, where you can probably pick up those two yards on second and two on two or three downs pretty easily. So Baltimore last year kind of ran into the problem of getting into second and 10, second and 11, second and nines, they turned those into third and longs, and then it was a three and out. So I think those are two areas, one on offense, one on defense, where they could look to, to take advantage of. 
Kevin, last question for you before we run. What is your prediction for how this game is going to end? You don't necessarily have to give me an exact score, but ballpark estimate, how do you think this is going to go? Yeah, I think this is a game where you can never you can never count out a team. I mean, this isn't an any given Sunday league. There, there's nothing you can you can say to think that oh well, the Ravens are 100 going to win because it's the Jets. I mean, the Jets have made moves themselves. They've improved their roster, so I, I'm I'm not going to count out a team like that. But so for the, for a final score, I, I have it 30 to 17 right now in a game that looks closer than it is. I think that when you actually get down to the to the box score nitty gritty stuff, it it actually looks 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 a lot more like a blowout, but this is this is a team in Baltimore that if you eliminate the Raiders game in 2021, the Ravens last three week one matchups from 2018 to 2020, I don't have the exact number. I think it was around 142 to 17. They outscored their opponents. That That's a real ballpark estimate of what it was. So this is a team that is hungry. This is a team that really, really wants to make a good impression. And so for me, I, I would not be shocked if they came out here and dominated as best they could. Kevin Ostriker, who is the host of Locked on Ravens and the managing editor of Ravens Wire. Thanks so much for coming on and helping us get a preview of the Baltimore Ravens so that we know what's going on with them heading into the matchup against the Jets in week number one. For those that want to check out your work, get more acquainted with the Ravens, even beyond what we talked about here on the show today. How can they get a hold of you on social media, follow you, and how can they read your work and hear your show? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at ChaosStriker34. I am also the host and, and producer of Locked on Raven, so you can find that anywhere on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also over on YouTube. And then I also am the managing editor over at Ravens Wire, so we write seven days a week there. So you, you can find that website. You can also, the Raven, the Ravens Wire account is at the Ravens Wire. So tons of Ravens over here, but I really appreciate you having me on. This was a blast pleasure kevin and i hope we can do it again soon make sure that you follow him on twitter and check out all of his work check out everything we're doing too at playlikeajet.com and the play like a jet youtube channel the thunder from down under luke grant has got some fantastic all 22 breakdowns up there so make sure you're watching our videos and subscribe if you haven't already youtube.com slash play like a jet visit our store tpublic.com that's teepublic.com we've got the john franklin myers quinn and williams bless you thank you shirt the zach says go long shirt the zach the ripper shirt the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies, it's all there. Tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. <laughs>